Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Steelers Draft Talk. I'm your host, Steelers DB. With me is my good buddy, Nick Martin. Today, we are going to recap the Steelers Draft Talk from the 2023 NFL Draft. We're going to talk, kind of give that draft class a grade, if you will. Um, Everybody loves those. And then we're going to talk about a couple additional classes that we liked uh, from other teams. And then we're going to go through days one, two, and three. Uh, picks for the Steelers and just kind of see, you know, what those players are, how they fit into the grand scheme of things. Um, jam-packed episode. We're really excited about it. Nick, first off, how you doing, brother? Oh, I'm doing, I'm doing amazing, man. Especially after the draft, you should have seen just how much of a, sm- how, how excited I got during that. It was just, it was insane. They, they prioritized so many needs and it just, it had me happy. And then they took some of my dudes and that always makes me, even extra happy so i'm so excited to talk about this yeah for sure man yeah it's interesting because i feel like you know we were saying this all weekend but you know normally you're lucky if like your favorite team if you do like what we do and like watch a bunch of prospects whatever you're lucky if your team drafts like one of the guys that you really like you know um every every cycle you know and you get really excited about you know when those potential fits kind of line up and the stars align uh, but it felt like the Steelers during this uh, weekend, you know, drafted a couple guys that you and I have been talking about a lot, you know, since we started this podcast back in like October, November. Um, so I'm really excited about, you know, breaking all these guys down with you, seeing how they fit. Um, you know, th- the end of the draft cycle is always a little bit bittersweet for me, too, because, you know, we spend, you know, a better part of 12 months, you know, off and on, you know, going through prospects and checking guys film out and all that stuff. And then like when that comes to an end, it's a little bit bittersweet, but it's yeah. the good thing about it is there's always next year. So getting the 2024 cycle uh, rolling is going to be exciting as well. Um, but yeah, let's, let's get started, man. I, I know like grades are a little bit of a controversial topic. Some people like them. Some people don't. Um, I'll fully acknowledge that, you know, it takes about two to three years to see if a draft class was quote unquote good. Um, yeah. Ideally, you know, Daniel Jeremiah used to talk about this all the time. You know, ideally you want your draft classes to come away with two to three starters. If you come away with two to three starting caliber players, um, you had a good draft. And just on the surface, man, for the Steelers, um, I am typically a pretty tough grader. Um, normally, you know, normally the Steelers for me uh, probably end up in like the B range or, you know, sometimes C range. It just in the in the past several years, at least. Um, but when I look at this hall, man, it's hard for me to give it anything other than an A. I mean, maybe even A plus. I just thought that the you mentioned them knocking out potential needs and, you know, plugging in some holes and things like that. But I thought that the value that they got with several of the players, you know, drafted six guys that ended up in my top 100 on my final big board. You know, the value and the needs aligning together uh, was really special. And I thought that uh, Omar Khan showed really well in his first draft as a general manager. Khan artist, as he's being called now, which is pretty awesome nickname, if I say so myself. Um, Yeah, no, you talk about the value of just the guys they got. Nick Herbig was a guy I had rated around like third round grade. I, I felt really I was really happy when they got a guy like that and. Obviously, Corey Trice, a lot of people had him much higher. A lot of people didn't anticipate the medicals um, of that aspect. But I had him in my top 50, and they got him in the seventh round. And it's it's so hard to contain excitement on a seventh-round pick. 
because you have to temper that expectation mm-hmm. slightly because, you know, draft capital does matter for opportunity a lot of times. But, man, that had me just absolutely smiling, and I'm, ho- I'm very hopeful about the type of players that those two can be. Yeah. Yeah, I knew that we would pretty much be in agreement that, you know, we're, we're rating this draft class, like, really highly. You know, and I, I do want to preface that, you know, just because – um, our draft grades are really based on, you know, how we evaluated these players before they became Steelers. Um, and that's why we think that the value um, fit the need and everything kind of came full circle uh, regarding those two aspects. But it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, all these players are going to pan out. I mean, just yep. historically speaking, um, you know, it's it's just not going to happen, man. Like the NFL draft, it's a little bit of a crapshoot. It's not a perfect science. Um, and even if your draft class looks great on paper, you know, sometimes it can, you know, backfire on you just for various reasons, you know, injuries, fits, um, you know, just unforeseen circumstances, developments, not always linear. Um, You know, there's a lot of things, but I do think there's a good amount of optimism uh, that needs to be in place here, especially for Steelers fans, man. Like, I don't know how you look at this class and can be anything other than, you know, genuinely excited. Um, But, you know, I've seen this happen um, in the inverse as well. Like you think back at that, um, that Saints draft class, that oh, had, man. Uh, Alvin, Alvin Kamara and like, you know, the national media, all the draft pundits, uh, the big draft names, like absolutely slaughtered that draft class, you know, as like this, this terrible class, and you know, terrible value reaches all over the place. And then that draft class was probably the best. I mean, you could make an argument that that was the best draft class of the 2010s. Um, so, you know, it can go both ways. I, I do think that, like I said, that there's reason for optimism um among this class did you have any other teams that you were like particularly impressed with their haul and you wanted to kind of shout them out before we kind of go into days one two and three for the Steelers so for me I actually really like how the Jets um pivoted off of Broderick Jones who they really liked and I you know a lot of people consider Will McDonald a reach I Mm -hmm. he's he's edge three for me he's he was like one of the last first round grades I had I thought he went in a at a terrific spot. I think he has potential to be a high upside pass rusher, and I think him not play. I, I just love when uh, coach coach called him up, and he was <laughs> just like, he was just like, we're gonna get you out of that four eye and into that wide nine. And I'm just thank like, God. thank you. <laughs> and then uh, they they had a terrific pivot um, with offensive tackle because they took Carter Warren in the fourth round, who I think actually could be potential starter at the next level. Very underrated player. I thought he, I, I think he was really good with his hand usage. I think he's explosive out of his sets too. Like Carter Warren was one of my favorite. It, there were two tackles I was looking at. If if they had to, if the team had to pivot, Carter Warren and Nick Saldaveri, and the Jets got one of them. They also took my favorite center and Joe Tipman. I'm I'm a big Tipman fan. And then Zach Kuntz from Old Dominion is a very talented tight end. They got him in the seventh round. I think they got some very good value overall. I've seen a lot of people kind of rip the Jets apart uh, for their pivot, and I, I honestly, I, I, I don't get it. I like their draft a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I had a couple that I wanted to shout out. I mean, Philly. I mean, that was an obvious one. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, they were the benefit, the benefactor of you know, kind of Jalen Carter falling way further down than he should have. The 49ers Um, participated. Yeah, but I mean, um, get Jalen Carter at nine, man. It's just, it's absurd value considering I value him, you know, as the best overall talent in this draft class. 
Uh, but you just look at what they did after that, too. You know, getting Nolan Smith at 30, that was further than he should have dropped. You know, even trading back up, you know, trading a, a third-round pick for Keely Ringo, I, I thought that was good value as well because, you know, Bradbury and Slay are both, you know, veteran corners that you could be um, – you know, you can play right now while you kind of develop a younger kid like Ringo. So um, a couple other draft classes I liked. Uh, the Seahawks, you know, they kind of threw a curveball to everybody taking Witherspoon at five. Um, but I didn't expect that. <laughs> yeah, I, I was I was surprised by that. But I also think that the Jackson Smith and Jigba pick at 20 was like right around the spot where I thought he should go. Um, but I just I love the fit. And Tyler Lockett, man, that's just it's a great fit. That's so good. I, because, I, because the way that Gino plays, like he's a vertical passer who wants to push the ball down the field. But last year there were times, especially uh, during the second half of the year, where they were just so vertical heavy. They didn't have that guy to win like underneath and in the middle of the field. And that's like really where Smith and Jigba excels. And you point out like some of the – some people compared Stroud coming out of college to Gino Smith. They have a lot of similarities in terms of how they play. So I have a feeling that could just be like a real seamless fit for them. Yeah. Yeah, totally agree. I, I just think that Smith and Jigba is like a little bit of an easy button type of player that is yeah. going to really help you, um, you know, get some easy yards and, you know, hang out in the underneath and um, intermediate areas of the field. And I also point out like Lockett's not a yards after catch guy. DK, you know, he's a very specific type of receiver too, valuable, yeah. but specific. Um, and I think Smith and Jigba, just the way that he moves after the catch, you know, despite not being like, you know, this, incredible straight line speed athlete um, is going to help them in that regard too. Oh. I was a little bit confused about the, the Seahawks uh, pick of Zach Charbonnet. I'm still really confused as a, as a Kenneth Walker uh, fantasy owner. I'm a little <laughs> bit um, mad about it too, but I, I just thought that overall, you know, the Seahawks, man, the way that they've drafted over the past two years deserves some recognition. And um, that's the thing about the draft that maybe the thing that I like the most about it, is um the optimism that it can yes. offer like a potential fan base um you know we talk about this for the Steelers too especially like when you're a team that is you know quote unquote headed for like a rebuild or a transition you know all it takes and I'm not saying it's easy to do obviously it's not or else everybody would do it but um all it takes is one to two pot potential slam dunk draft classes and you go from you know full rebuild mode like we thought the Seahawks were headed towards last year um to like a genuinely like NFC championship type of roster. And like Look what happened with the saints from 2016 to 2017, yep. just how that class changed them. Yeah, Honestly, think, the 2017 awesome. draft changed a lot of teams. Let's be real. Yeah, <laughs> that was, that was a, that was a outstanding draft class. And the, the thing that's really interesting about this draft was it was considered one of the weaker drafts, mostly at the top, mm -hmm. but I think Daniel Jeremiah called it best. The strength of the draft was day two. And I think we saw a lot of teams just absolutely capitalize on day two. One of my favorites, actually, um, this is the last team I want to shout out, Denver. They had a limited number of picks. Mm -hmm. they, had th they had two thirds and they had a set and they had a second. And but it was like at the end of the second. But they got they came up with some really good values. Marvin Mims is one of my favorite. Uh, receivers in this class drew sanders where they got him i thought that was really good value riley moss could be a really good starter both either at corner or safety i also really i like uh jl skinner in the six we don't know too much about his injury and like his mm -hmm. in terms of his that we wanted to see his testing but that's a great spot to get him alex forsyth from morgan i thought was you know he's not built 
the way you typically want a center, but he's really good. He's had, yeah, yeah he showed some really good stuff against like Jalen Carter and guys like that. So I just, I like what they did in such a limited number of picks. Yeah. I love the Mims landing spot. Yes. Just sir. because like the way that he plays, like, you know, as a vertical threat, you know, ability to get deep, you know, use his speed, but also that high point ability. And, you know, nobody loves to throw the deep ball more than Russ, you know, that yeah. moon ball type of approach that he has. And I, I think that could potentially be a good fit, especially if Russ is able to kind of bounce back from that uh, really poor season that he had last year. But I want to talk about, you know, just kind of day by day, go through the Steelers picks and go through these players and kind of what we thought about um, them pre-draft. Of course, a lot of these guys, just because of how, Holly, we ranked them, uh, ended up showing up on our positional ranking videos. But I want to talk a little bit about Broderick Jones, uh, what you thought, you know, just kind of of the pick in general and then how Jones, you know, fits in. How do you see him helping, uh, you know, just kind of what the uh, potential outlook is for a guy like him moving forward? I think the Broderick Jones pick was a huge upside swing. Like I said before, I think there's a trap door to his floor. There's a very low floor with the with a guy like that, but the whole upside of him is his athleticism, his ability in space, how explosive he is out of his sets. But more so, like he has just uncanny like strength that he can access in terms of creating torque, especially from his hands. It's just he doesn't quite know how to use um, his hands the correct way, which is why I'm very much looking forward to seeing what Pat Meyer could do with him because I don't think enough people talk about this. Dan Moore's hand usage from year one to year two was such a exponential jump. And while he still wasn't like an incredible tackle, mm-hmm. he, he became a much more serviceable player. And I think when you can turn a guy like that into serviceable, it, it really, t- t- it really makes you excited what he can do with a talent like Broderick Jones the only thing I, I have to say is, and you and you highlighted it really well on Twitter. Andrew Thomas as a rookie gave up t- like over ten sacks as a, as a rookie, and he gave up plenty of pressures as well. He's now one of the best tackles in all football. Everyone needs to be patient. Do not kill this guy if he doesn't if he doesn't look the part in year one because left tackle. Tackle in general is one of the toughest positions to be good at as a rookie. Tristan Wirfs is the biggest is the biggest anomaly in that regard in terms of just you know guys that were just ready to play and you know could mm-hmm. be all stars out the gate. It's not it's it's not the norm. So exercise patience with Project Jones. I like the approach they made. My personal opinion, I like Anton Harrison more. And that was, you know, that was my take on, you know, tackles. But I, I like the Steelers process and what they were trying to do. That's why I got it. That's why, you know, that's why I thought it was a, it was a good overall process with them jumping the Jets. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, you know, with Jones, man, the hit, the ceiling is really what's, you know, enticing to me. And you know, I, I say this all the time, but like in round one, I like taking shots and taking big swings. And I think that that's this, this swing for Broderick Jones is a big swing on his upside, man. You just, you, you mentioned the, the athleticism, uh, the way that he can get out in space, the way that, you know, he can be an impact run blocker, you know, generate displacement, get to the second level. You can pull him. You can do a lot of different things in the run game with him. But I think even as a pass protector, you see the feet, you know, he has really nice feet. Um, 
you know, can can get out of his stance, you know, needs to do a little bit better job mixing up his sets. But if he can get his hand placement uh, where it needs to be, man, and more consistent, you know, not just from a timing perspective, but from a landing spot perspective, um, this guy has a good anchor. Like he has all the tools that you really want in a left tackle. This dude could be really good. It's just going to take some fine tuning. And um, like I said, man, I, I think the Jones pick is more about, you know, what he could potentially be in 2024 and 2025. I, I'm not saying that I don't care what he looks like next year. It's just my my expectation is that he's going to struggle in pass pro. Um, but we'll, we'll see if that ends up being the case. But I'm excited to see, like, what he's going to develop into. And I think getting an offensive line coach like Pat Mayer, who's done some good things with the Steelers offensive line, you know, in his only season, getting him his guy to mold and develop with all these traits is um, I think it's a good gamble and, and something that I really, really appreciate. And that's why I brought up the Andrew Thomas thing, man. Like I loved Andrew Thomas coming out. He was like a top five player for me in that class was just over the moon uh, with his evaluation. And then like when he, you know, played as a rookie and he looked just absolutely terrible to be quite frank with you. I was like, man, this dude's unrecognizable. I don't even know what I'm watching right now. And I was so surprised. I was like, man, do I need to go back and watch the film? Like, where did I miss? And then, you know, two years later, you know, he's a top five tackle, like bar none top five tackle. And, um, you know, Thomas to me was a better prospect, but I think Jones, you know, has that type of tools. So um, we'll see what happens with it. It'll be really fascinating to see how all that plays out. But um, let's talk a little bit about the day two haul. Uh, You know, the Steelers ended up with three selections. They actually ended up making three selections on day two. Um, you know, what was your favorite one of their picks on on day two? And how, how did you come out, um, you know, assessing the value, meeting their needs that you thought they needed to address on that at that point in the draft? I thought Pittsburgh navigated day two perfectly. And a lot of it had to do with staying at 32 and then trading down in the third because they knew they, they were going to get some falling values in the third. 32, they knew they had players with a first round grade. And unless they had an offer that just blew their socks off, there was no way, you know, they were going to get out of there. I, I love the pick of Joey Porter Jr. There, you know, it was the top. He was the second top value. Is Brian Branch does the top value for me, but right. but they weren't separated by much. And I completely, I'm on, I'm, I'm way on board with the Joey Porter Jr. Pick, both from a legacy perspective, from just the fit. The Steelers love to lo- run a ton of press man. And my biggest, like my, the biggest thing I was hoping for out of this draft class was to get two corners. We'll talk about the second one in a bit where they can just press guys at the line of scrimmage and, and just absolutely beat the shit out of receivers. And that's just, that's what I was hoping for. I think Porter's a little unrefined in his technique, but I think what's so special about him is his recover is he has really good recovery speed, but also it's his length. He has he has offensive tackle length mm-hmm. so the way he can just get back in the passing lane he can get beat across his face and he can still break up the pass because he has those go-go gadget arms and i think his hip fluidity is undersold i think he actually has good mirroring ability the problem is his is his footwork from a pedal is a little bit he's too he's too high and he's a bit too slow-footed overall so i would be i would be cautious about playing him in off coverage quarters especially because i don't think that's going to go very well if he has the if he has the mirror from the pedal i think he handles shuffle pretty well really good with honestly like his ball skills are the most underrated part about his game because you know everyone points out the only had one interception Mm -hmm. he had like 21 pass breakups in his time 
and a lot of them were just terrific reads from zone coverage or even just like some of it was man coverage and he noticed something underneath he jumped the route but he just didn't get the pick and I love that somebody compared uh, some there are people who were comparing him to Ike Taylor and I think (laughs) I think that was so accurate in in a lot of ways because you know Ike Taylor is that incredible athlete but he couldn't freaking catch a ball worth worth a damn but he could damn cover and i think porter you're getting good enough scheme versatility and i think he's got a lot he's got still got plenty of upside things to hash out with his game but he's also you know he's got a good floor with his with his measurables especially yeah and i think um you know with the the Purdue game where he's you know playing in a cloud um kind of as that underneath cover two defender and he jumps that he jumps that option or out route underneath yeah. it just hits him right in the hands and that was my first thing whenever I saw that play for the first time like man I've seen that before <laughs> you know it was kind of funny especially now that he's taking 24 you know Ike Taylor for those of you that don't know he's my favorite stealer of all time that's my guy so Love Ike, uh, but yeah, my guy could not catch the football. Um, and I, I don't know. I do agree with you that uh, Porter does get his hand on a lot of footballs. It's um, to me, it's not a question of locating the football or like being in the right spot or being in phase to you know make plays on the ball. It's just a matter of um, I don't know if he's got natural playmaking skills, and sometimes that just happens, man. Um, we'll have to see, you know, if that improves um, in the pros or not, but. You know, you you hit the nail on the head really with Porter's evaluation. You know, you let him press, you know, that that length. You know, we talk about recovery speed, but he almost has, like, recovery length yes. uh, because of his ability to just get back at the catch point and um, really clog passing lanes. He's a difficult dude to throw at, man, and that's why this past season, you know, teams really avoided him kind of like the plague. You know, Kalen King on the other side got a lot of work because teams are pretty cognizant about trying to test Porter um, as little as possible. They had issues with him too. We can't wait yeah. to get him for the next draft. Yeah. Um, I'm interested to see, you know, how the Darnell Washington thing plays out. Um, you know, the Steelers being able to run more 12 personnel, you know, with Washington, because here's kind of the way that I see it. You know, Washington's this force multiplier in the run game. I mean, he's an awesome run, run blocker. They asked him to do a lot of the dirty work for Georgia you know, he can get on the perimeter um, and set the point on the edge. But, you know, he can also, you know, down block. He can get to the second level. He's good on combos. He's just uniquely built and very, very powerful with some excellent chipper, too, which is yeah. going to help out guys like Broderick Jones, you know, acclimate to the NFL and, you know, not leave them on an island. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's an asset in that regard. And like the thing this is I'm going to write an article, I think, about this for the site, just on how teams have used 12 personnel to dictate um, to dictate matchups and the chiefs do it extremely, extremely, extremely well. What happens is, you know, if you're playing 12 personnel, two tight, two tight insets, um, you know, a lot of teams will match that with their base defense, meaning they're going to remove a slot cornerback and they're going to put, you know, a traditional set with multiple linebackers on the field. Well, what happens is in the way that the Steelers can kind of take advantage of that, if they can, if they establish the run and they're this run heavy team and they're a good running team, teams will counter that 12 personnel with their base defense. Well, what does that do? You could come out in 12 personnel, but then you can shift Pat Fryer move to the slot. Yeah. And then they have to move a linebacker over there. They have to move a safety out there. So Pat's not going up against slot corners that can actually, that are actually on the field to cover. He's going to go out up and get some matchups 
with some linebackers, and we know that he's capable of dominating those type of matchups. So it's really interesting to see what they do uh, with him. I, you know, I'm going to take, you know, I'm going to try to be positive about Man Canada um, on this pod today, at least. Uh, so I'm going to give him um, a little bit of the benefit of the doubt and say that, you know, he's going to have enough time to, you know, formulate some type of plan on how they're going to use Washington to the best of their advantage. But really excited about Washington. Um, you know, I didn't know if you wanted to bring up Keanu Benton at all. Um, I know that was a guy that you really particularly liked. Um, how do you see of, like him him fitting into the Steelers defense at least as a rookie? In terms of fit, it was just Wisconsin's defensive scheme, especially along the defensive line, is very similar to how Pittsburgh employs their guys. Like they like to move them all around the front, whether it be like them playing. Sometimes they had Hayward playing at zero tech and trying to two gap as a nose tackle. You know, Benton was that guy who was playing as the nose as as a one mainly as a one technique, but, and he showed the ability to be able to do that. It's just the problem. His pad level can get pretty high and it affects yeah. him off combo blocks, especially you have to kind of get that out of him. But where his upside comes from is, is a three technique because he didn't play there nearly as much. And he's got terrific hand usage overall. The thing I want to see with him, I just want to see him use the bull rush more because I think he's a powerful dude. I think he relies way too much on, beating the guy's hands in front of him when he should mm -hmm. just be running through the guy. But yeah, like he, he can be employed all over the the line. They're going to try and use him more as a nose early on, but I, I, I just love that pick so much from a fit perspective because it makes so much sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree. Um, you know, it sounds like they're going to give him a shot to play nose. I think that the pad level uh, playing with better leverage will hopefully help him, uh, kind of be able to take on those double teams, which you're going to see more often in the middle. Um, I still just don't know. I don't know if that's the best fit for him, um, yeah. but I understand why the Steelers would try it um, early on just because, you know, they've got two, three techs already and Hayward and Okajobi that, you know, you're not taking those guys off the field. So this is a way to get him on the field on early downs. Um, then we'll just got to see how it plays out. Um, hopefully he can do it and it's not a problem, but I even think, with Benton, we've talked about this. I think he was an improving pass rusher. He's he's definitely still coming along and finding his way in that regard. Um, but I do think he has pass rush upside, which means that even if he does play, hopefully he plays well at, at nose, but you could still get him on the field, um, you know, in sub-package football when, you know, you need to give Joby or Hayward a break or like exactly. when we're talking about the post-Cam Hayward. Uh, era that's you know coming up because he's not going to be able to defy father time forever so um benton we talked about him man he was he was a guy that just felt like a stealer right and uh it just ended up playing out that way to where you know he lands in pittsburgh which was the least surprising thing of all time yeah. i wanted to talk a little bit about his teammate man uh nick herbig you you talked about him earlier just as a good value in the fourth round Man, Herbig, to me, when I watch him play, I don't know what he was playing at. I'm going to assume he was probably playing at about 225, 230 because yeah. he looks light to me on tape. Um, but this dude, the way I described it was he had an electric first step. I mean, this dude can get off the ball. I mean, the snap anticipation, his ability to roll off his front foot and just explode out of his stance. No you know, false steps either. It's Yes, it is very – very technically refined, but very explosive. And that's a good combination to have, especially when you're a speed rusher. He's a speed rusher through and through, man. Like, he's going to threaten the outside shoulder. That is what he does, like, repeatedly. Um, he does a good job keeping himself clean at the apex. Um, good hand usage. Um, but, Loves you know, that, cross top. Yes, that explosiveness, man. Like, 
it really, really shows up and gives tackles fits because, you know, they're constantly having to basically play catch up with him because they can't get out of their stance uh, quick enough. So um, he's a really interesting player, too, just in terms of his pass rush uh, plan. You know, he is a speed rusher through and through, doesn't have the power behind his hands, I think, which could limit a little bit of his upside. But one thing that I really like that Herbig does is, um, you know, he'll set guys up, you know, outside shoulder, outside shoulder. And then once he kind of catches the offensive tackles, like playing that real heavy, you know, he'll drop his weight and stick that like right foot in the ground and then jump right inside um, with an inside counter. You know, he has a swim move. I've seen him try an inside spin, which we've seen, you know, Alex Highsmith just demolish people over the years with that um, that kind of counter move. So the fact that he already has like a process to his game and there's a little bit of like, you know, football acumen to like, you know, his pass rushing ability. Um, I, I really like that a lot. And just as, you know, even if things don't work out, like as a full-time edge, I think he's got enough versatility to where he can play some off ball. Um, I think, you know, with the way he uses his hands, um, you know, we'll see. I, I, I'm always cautious about, you know, betting heavily on historical outliers. Those 31-inch arms, man, it does show That's up on short. tape. It, it's short on tape. Uh, yeah. you, you see it. You see some problems that it could potentially uh, breed at the next level. But I'm optimistic that Herbig is at least going to be, you know, a rotational player. And I, I think in the fourth round, man, getting a guy like this, that type of athlete who can at least serve a purpose, I think he's going to have a purpose on the roster. Um, that That's exciting to me. Yep. The way the best way to describe Nick Herbig is he was the dollar store version of Nolan Smith in this class. Mm-hmm. You, in terms of guys you can potentially rely on as pass rushers early on, obviously Nolan Smith way more polished run defender and a more ridiculous athlete. Just why I said dollar store because yeah. Herbig is a good athlete. He's not a he's not a Nolan's great a different cat. Though. He's 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 <laughs> great. Doesn't even sell it on that on that aspect. I'll be real. It, yeah. The, the thing with Herbig, though, he's they played him a little bit as an off-ball dropper in terms of spot dropping. Showed some good route recognition overall with his eyes. Biggest thing, if they're going to play him, they're mostly going to play him as an outside linebacker. How I kind of envision it is that they have him as an emergency um, inside linebacker in case their depth gets really thin. Because, you know, we've seen him be able to use his hands and spot drop, but obviously he doesn't have like the greatest feel for playing inside and there there would obviously be a huge adjustment there. So I'm I'm assuming the Steelers are going to kind of just rotate him in and out at, throughout training camp and get him as much experience at both spots as possible. Like you said, the arm length is just a huge concern in terms of being able to set the edge. The the added weight of going from like 220 to 240, we'll see if he ends up holding that 240. But you know, he he was able to hold it well at the combine. He was able to work out as mm-hmm. well. And you know, Herbig, I like, I just like the ability as a pass rusher right out the gate. He's just really polished in every sense of the word. Like, just the the counters, the the ability to just beat the hands consistently. I, I love his, I just love his cross job, especially yeah. the, fl- the, the flying cross job every time always gets me. You just turn the apex of the corner and flatten to the quarterback. It's, it's one of the most aesthetically pleasing uh, yeah. plays to watch by far. And I think he'll at least be a situational rusher to give Highsmith and Watts some uh, breathers. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I'm I'm intrigued by the you know possibility of adding like another speed rusher off the bench that tackles you know instead of last year or in recent years you know they've they've wasted so many snaps behind their starters, just bringing in guys that aren't consistently pass rushing threats. Um, you know we could go down a list of names, but I'm not going to throw shade on people. But you know instead of offensive tackles, you know getting a break when those guys leave the field. Now you bring in a guy who's explosive off the ball. So it's like, you know, those tackles are going to have to be laser focused and locked in every rep. And they're not going to get a break just because TJ Watt or Alex Hasmith leave the field. One thing I want to see with Herbig is like you, you mentioned the additional weight is, you know, I mentioned, you know, how he can get uh, off the tackle shoulders turned. And that's a good thing. But typically, you know, when you get to that four yard landmark, if you're able to beat a guy off the ball, um, and beat him to that landmark when they turn their shoulders that's when you really want um, you know a length to get into the chest but like he doesn't have that but there were times where he would get into guy's chest but I felt like his like his long arm would just kind of fizzle out on him like he didn't have enough like oomph behind him to yeah. kind of create that knockback and I'm wondering because I really do believe that he was playing at like 225 I'm wondering if that 10 to 15 pounds not only can he sustain that amount of like athleticism, his explosiveness off the ball, but how much stronger he is, particularly in his lower body to keep running his feet. And maybe because if he can do that, like even without the length, if he can be respectable, he's not going to be a great power rusher and you don't need, yeah. he doesn't need to be, but he needs to be like respectable to the point where offensive tackles have to at least have a little bit of fear of him being able to, you know, run through their chest, at least when they get their shoulders turned. So interesting to see about that. Um, you know, where I wanted to, before we jump into their last two picks, I wanted to, you know, talk a little bit, were you surprised that the Steelers didn't trade like anyone didn't trade like a 2024 pick to uh, like grab a selection in between Herbig and, you know, the seventh round, that was a long time without picks. I was a little surprised, but I, there wasn't like a ton of like indication that they were going to do that. A lot of it mm -hmm. was speculation, especially on our parts in terms of what do they think of Kevin Dodson? Maybe especially, you know, if they wanted to get another interior offensive lineman, but it seemed like they didn't like how the class looked at that point. So they didn't want to thin themselves out more. So that's, that's kind of how I view it. And I was a little surprised, but not, not too much with hat, yep. but especially after round three, because centers cleared out really quickly. Yeah, let's let's get into these final two picks, man. I think um, you know with Corey Trice, you already talked about it a little bit at the start of the episode, but being able to get a guy with this this type of traits, man, in the seventh round is. I mean, it's unheard of, to be honest. Like, when you watch his tape, like, this, he doesn't have seventh-rounder tape. Like, he's got, you know, mid-round guy tape at the worst. And then you look at just the athleticism, you know, the way that he tested, you know, a guy that's got his type of size, his type of length, um, and moves the way that he does. Like, those guys just do not, you know, do not become available at this point in the draft, like, on a yearly basis. These are guys that typically get overdrafted, not underdrafted. We'll see what the health looks like for him. Um, you know, the, the ACL that he tore in 2021 seems like it could be potentially problematic. The it's, senior bowl, the senior bowl said that they, that that was the reason they didn't invite him was because, you know, he was off a couple teams like draft boards, basically. What uh, I thought because was, of the medicals. What I thought was interesting with uh, Jim Nagy mentioned that is he said he, like they asked him like where he'd been drafted, even if the medicals um, weren't bad. And he said fifth round. And I'm wondering if the NFL might've just been 
lower on Corey Trice because the there wasn't a huge ish, like like string of knee injuries back to back. Then there was plenty of mm-hmm. ankle stuff that he had to deal with. So it's really hard to say exactly. Obviously, we're not doctors. What it was, yeah. And he didn't. In terms of how he was moving, I've heard some people say that he might have looked um, limited in in his early 22 tape, but even I didn't really notice that. I thought he was moving perfectly fine in terms of like being able to mirror and, you know, his pad level was, you know, he's able to bend really well, but, you know, maybe the recovery speed might've been a little lacking in that regard, but I just Mm -hmm. don't think that's a aspect of his game. That's going to be that great. Like he's just average in that regard. Yeah. Yeah, and but when I watch Trice, man, like I think it's important to take this into account. Like whenever you're watching players too, is like you know, if you watch a guy like Trice and some of these smaller cornerbacks that were in this class, you know, the DJ Turners, the Devin Witherspoons, the guys like that. Um, of course, he's going to look different the way he moves because exactly. this dude's 210 pounds. Like you have to understand that you know he's got 25, 30 pounds on some of these smaller corners in this class, and yeah, those guys are going to move differently than he does. But the way that he can win with his length, his physicality, his size, and then you factor in the fact that he does move extremely well for his size. He's a technician um, too. Yeah, he's- and you give you give him, you know you give him a spot, you know, next to in the future, potentially Joey Porter Jr. You got two corners that can absolutely maul guys at the line of scrimmage, two long guys who can play and press. Um, I do agree with you that, you know, his technique, um, there are some things to clean up with his footwork. I think that he can get a little bit too hand happy. Um, I'll just describe it like that. One of the concerns I have about, um, two-hand jammers in general uh, going to the next level is, you know, you saw Sauce Gardner uh, last year really rein this in uh, and over his last, like, year in college too. Um, It's hard to be like a two-hand jammer at the next level because receivers are so good. They have better release packages. They're more, like, well thought out in their plan. They're not just going to give you their chest and let you two-hand jam them like some of these college receivers will. Um, You know, they're going to be able to, like, you know, dodge those punches, basically, uh, to use a boxer's analogy. Um, and tries to me, he's a little bit too hand happy. I'd like to see him, you know, if he's going to quick jam, um, you know, kind of use his inside hand a little bit more. Uh, but he transitions really well. Um, I think he, you know, has a good, you know, decelerator to him, too. Like, a lot of these big corners, like, really struggle to defend, like, you know, hitches, comebacks. We saw it with Keely Ringo. Um, you know, but Trice does a really good job breaking down, shifting his weight and coming back to the quarterback. So that really got me hyped up. And then, you know, seeing those 2019 reps against uh, Rashad Bateman, that had me, I mean, I didn't see that until after the fact. Um, but seeing that was like, whoa, this is this is a different type of cat. Because I love Bateman coming out. Like, I, I, th- I still think he's extremely talented. We just got to, we got to get him on the field yeah. uh, to see what he could potentially do. But seeing him potentially match up with Bateman uh, in the AFC North for years to come is exciting. Like you said, draft capital matters, seventh rounders. They just don't have long, as long of a leash. Like, you only get so many opportunities. You're going to start lower on the depth chart. Um, you know, he's fighting an uphill battle um, necessarily to, you know, for playing time. I still think that he has a good shot to make this roster. Um, I just – he's not a lock, you know, just because of the draft capital spent on him. He's not a lock to make the roster. But I do think that he's a starting caliber cornerback. This dude's traits. I'm very excited about him. 
um, and think that he could potentially, you know, do some really good things. Um, just before we jump out of here, I wanted to get your thoughts on Spencer Anderson. Um, just in general, I think it's just a good thing when you're a like late round pick at offensive lineman and you know how to play multiple positions. Like having yeah. versatility is the number one thing that you have to be able to do, in my opinion, if you're going to be a backup offensive lineman in the league. If you're not good enough to be a starter, you better know how to play multiple positions. And this is a dude who's played four spots. Um, I'm pretty good sure. Athlete, that, yeah. And he's a good athlete. So like when you just take those two things on a baseline level, this dude checks the boxes at, from an athleticism perspective. This dude checks the boxes from a versatility perspective. I'm all on board with that um, as a seventh round pick. You know, in Philly, they had a knack. Everybody talks about like the investments that Philly makes in the trenches. Totally, totally valid. They do. They did under Andy Weidel, made a ton of investments early in the draft. But really, it was the guys that they were able to develop later in the draft. I think that set their kind of organization up because that's where your depth comes in. You know, exactly. if you can hit on a starter or a high level backup, you know, late on day three, that's a huge boon and bonus uh, to your roster construction. So what were your thoughts on uh, the Anderson pick? Uh, I have pretty much the same uh, thoughts as you in terms of just you need that versatility to play all positions. And I think that was very, I think that was very appealing to the Steelers coupled that with a, he's a good athlete moves well, especially on the move. I, I think he's a good reach blocker as well, but there's not much else I can really tell you about his game. Cause I wasn't able to fully watch his film and Maryland's Maryland's offensive line film was a little hard for me to get a handle on, but I, but uh, I like the uh, pick there. Um, I wanted to mention a few more things about Corey Trice because yeah. I did not get to add this. Um, he lost his dad um, very early on. And, you know, he's very driven guy. Like he, you know, he's written down, like, you know, always trying to make sure his GPA was high. Just big plays. Don't miss a day. He has it written down. You know, he has it written on like a board, you know, and, he's really driven. I, I really I like that a lot about him. And I think he, from a character perspective, it's, it's really high. The work ethic, you count that with the traits. I just, for a medical to drop someone to the, the seventh round, I just, I, I don't know how I, I, I just, I can't really see how that was the main reason for a guy that talented to be able to drop because He's such a long, tall corner. He moves so well. Like, I could go on and on about this pick because, honestly, I want to talk about it some more because one of my, you know, my the thing I was so happy about, um, I said it before the draft that I wanted Joey Porter Jr. and Corey Trice Jr. to just press the shit out of receivers as and come away with those two corners. And to know they got one at 32 and the other at the seventh round. If you had told me that before the draft, I would have called you the biggest optimist and the absolute <laughs> most Homer glasses I've ever seen in my life because I just couldn't, I just couldn't have seen it. But I, I like I said, I genuinely believe starter traits, but also I think Trice from a technical perspective is a little bit more refined than Joey Porter Jr. Agreed. And you mentioned the two hand jams. That's something he's gonna have to work on. But Porter, like, makes up for it with much more superior athleticism, and especially. But you know, that's that's the fun of it. I, I'm really, I'm just really excited for them to get on the field. And yeah. obviously, you know, there's not much else we can add on Spencer Anderson. But 
I I'm just really happy with the Steelers draft class. They just they did everything I wanted them to do. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting too. Grady Brown said that they're going to look good getting off the bus. Yes, sir. <laughs> I definitely I definitely agree with that. Um, I'm excited, man. Like like we said, I know we spent a lot of time talking about Trice, but um, you know they just it just doesn't make sense to me. The little the limited tape that I saw, man, like he just doesn't look like a seventh round guy, and like even the medicals. That's why it's just a big question mark on like what they really look like, like how many, like what teams thought about like his ability to have a lengthy NFL career. Cause there had to be guys like there had to be organizations that just did not sign off on this dude uh, from, from a medical perspective, because I just, I refuse to believe like, just look, this is a good cornerback class. Like, don't get me wrong. And the depth of this class could have potentially hurt him as well. But dude, there was just, there was corners in this class that got taken as early as the third round that just, they were not as good as this dude on tape. And I just don't. And like, and that's before you even really get into like the traits perspective. Like you, yeah. you can look at a guy like on film and then you can look at like what he could basically what he has done. And then you can look at the traits perspective and say like, what could he potentially do? They just try checked more boxes than a lot of these guys that were drafted ahead of him. And that's why I think you and I are both just so optimistic about, um, you know, the Steelers are due for this type of late round draft pick becoming a steal um you know it's it's been a little bit for them that they've been able to really capitalize on day three uh with a not just a starter but who i think could be like a really really solid starter um in the league so excited to see how it plays out uh we appreciate you guys uh tuning into the episode uh following along with uh the steelers draft talk podcast please make sure you subscribe at youtube.com slash all steelers talk uh yeah again it was fun recapping the steelers draft class with you guys and we will holler at you all next time Peace. Peace.